This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Dave Whitaker, and this is Vinyl Snob. When somebody is amassing a large collection of records, or even a small collection of records, Records do need to be cleaned so that they can get every little bit of music out of the groove that they're listening to on their turntables. That's Best Navarra of Music Direct. He'll be joining us to talk about the care and feeding of records. I mean, that, that's the biggest question I got is, you know, in 2012, why did you think you could start a turntable company? And we'll visit U-Turn Audio in Boston, where three friends started a company turning out new turntables that are getting some great reviews. No matter if you're shopping in the new or used bin for your vinyl, cleaning those records is a must. I suppose the vinyl snob telling you to clean your records is a bit like the dentist telling you to floss. However, both chores are necessary if you want the products to keep working and last for years to come. To walk us through the hows and whys of record maintenance, we're joined by Bess Navera of Music Direct. Welcome, Bess. Hey, buddy. Good to be here. So, you know, I see record collectors even to this day pulling out a rag or a T-shirt to wipe the records off. My favorite is when somebody goes, you know, like they're blowing all of the dust and dirt off the piece of vinyl. Well, obviously, I'd love to say it's sacrilege, but it's what some people will do just to get the stuff up and running and playing the record. When somebody is amassing a large collection of records or even a small collection of records, Records do need to be cleaned so that they can get every little bit of music out of the groove that they're listening to on their turntables. Now, the important thing here is that if done right, you don't have to go through the rigmarole every time you take it out of a sleeve. And there are different tiers of thought on how that can be done. Is that affected by the particular product you're using or just by perhaps the age of the record, whether it's old or new? I think it's more of the latter. Uh, When you consider that the plethora of used records that are now hitting the markets where everyone is just gobbling up every record that they can get their hands on, care and feeding of records is extremely important. There are, at least in our opinion, up to three different tiers of, of record care management. So let's start with the easiest one. If he or she is a record buyer who's building their record collection and the majority of their records are in good shape, but they'll probably have residue from older record cleaning solutions and the like. The latest generation of record cleaning solutions that are on the market have been designed in such a way to address those issues. An example of that is the Mobile Fidelity One record cleaning solution, which is designed to be used without any kinds of record cleaning machines and can just simply be applied with a simple record cleaning brush that Mobile Fidelity also manufactures. It's a felt pad that covers the groove surface area of a typical 12-inch record. Once that is painted on there and allowed to dry, it evaporates fairly quickly because there is a trace amount of alcohol on there, but it is picking up all the crud that's on the record. Flip it over, do it again on the second part, and you're pretty much ready to go. You then put it in a high-quality sleeve like a MoFi sleeve or a similar acid-free paper sleeve or a polyline paper sleeve, so the next time you play a record, all you have to do is just take your dust brush and just lift it off, a brush that might have carbon fiber, so it just takes care of 
light static or, or light buildup because it's just been sitting there and you know, attractants may have, uh, may, may have gotten onto it. So let's say that same consumer now has amassed thousands of records and his stereo system is more sensitive to records and their conditions. He's got a big price needle or a big price turntable, a big price stereo system, a big price pair of speakers. We want them to consider an alternative including a full cleaning system with a record cleaning machine, which it, a high-performance turntable and vacuum literally sucks up all those cruddy little oil deposits or, uh, or mold or other things that have been built up. At this point, that tier of record cleaning solution becomes more of a high-quality alcohol-free detergent or latest-generation enzymes in which active materials are actually going down into the grooves, collecting what it can, mold, fingerprints, uh, wax buildup from the stamper, anything that it is likely to pull, and then the vacuum cleaner takes a high-torque approach, much like any good high-quality vacuum cleaner, and sucks it up through the grooves and, and gets collected into a tank. Uh, there are several machines that are currently in the market that do a great job like that, the most well-known of which is based here in the United States, a company called VPI out of New Jersey. Then there's the third-tier record-cleaning person who is really so scrupulous that he or she will expend exceptional amounts of money, and that's because those types of machines use uh, ultrasonic cleaning, in which it is literally vibrating the energy uh, in a tank of water to remove all that uh, stuff off the grooves. That's the extreme. Let's go back to the first tier, which I think is probably what most people have. Is it as important to clean the new product as it is to clean a used product? 100% true. Uh, even though today's records are wonderfully pressed at plants where high quality is the name of the game, what people don't realize is that there may still be some stamper material that's still embedded in the vinyl, and it may build up on the stylus as you play the record. It may also increase or add to wear factors within the record. So I always suggest to my customers, please consider cleaning the record prior to use and using a fluid like MoFi-1 or, or any competitive fluid that's designed for that purpose should be used always, always. Now, how would you apply the uh, cleaning solution? Do you apply it directly to the record or do you put it on the brush and then work it that way? You apply it on the record. You put, a, uh, put approximately three to four drops onto the record and then using the pad, you spread it onto the grooves from outer edge to lead-out groove. And would you do this um, by hand holding the record, or would you do it on the, on the turntable itself? Well, that's a great question. Turntables are stable enough so that they can take the torque of you moving the finger and rotating the record accordingly. As long as you do it at an even speed, 99.9% .9 of the time the fluid distribution is perfect. Could you physically just turn the platter by hand? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Turning the platter by hand is definitely okay. Again, it's just making sure you do it at an even speed, because what you're basically doing is painting the surface. There are also other branded products that are out there in the marketplace. The most well-known and recent re-entry into this is AudioQuest. They've improved their long-standing record brush to include a passive static control system, so as your hand makes contact to sections of the brush itself, it's acting as a neutralizer, so it can stop static as you sweep off the dried uh, uh, linted materials that may still show, be showing up on the record surface. Now, not many people think about cleaning their stylus. Occasionally, I will see someone put their finger down and run it against the stylus, and I'm like, do you know how much dirt and oil is on the tip of your finger? <laughs> You're absolutely right. I think there's also more to the story there, uh, and it goes back to the mishandling of records. If that individual 
uh, does not wish to clean his records, the needle buildup will be more and more dynamic, and it will also uh, increase uh, needle wear and record wear uh, as well. Uh, so I do endorse and, and insist upon cleaning the stylus uh, uh, of every record. Now, the question is how often? Uh, so let's look at it back from the perspective of uh, that individual having done his or her share of cleaning all the records that he's got in his collection. In a situation like that, it's as easy as just him taking a stylus brush or a stylus brush with fluid, cleaning the needle. So if he plays, say, three to five records that have been properly cleaned, and after examining the needle, the needle tip doesn't look like it's been compromised with extra gunk that was not there before, he's in good, he's in good shape. But I usually tell my customers one cleaning per record cycle. And that means with clean records, three to five records, do it again. I think that using a device like a jeweler's loop or a small magnifying lens to observe the cleanliness of the needle from the back of the needle at the, at the start of the cantilever to the outer edge after the record has played through that needle is a sure sign that you're getting your stuff done. Best Navarra is the brand ambassador for the online music retailer Music Direct. Thanks for speaking with us, Bess. The pleasure is mine. You know, if you told me a year ago that you wanted to buy a new turntable and only had $200 to spend, I'd have said you'll need to save up. Anything decent is going to run for $500. Because while there were turntables out there for $200, they're USB turntables and just aren't very good. In order to convert records to digital, a lot of bells and whistles need to be put into the turntable, thus sacrificing the audio quality. Now, if you're just digitizing a handful of scratchy old records, well, this will do you fine. But if you're a record collector and want high-quality audio, you won't find one at the $200 price point. Then a friend sent me an article from the Boston Globe, and that changed my mind. It told the story of three friends from high school who, while in college, started a company manufacturing a new, reasonably priced turntable that was getting some great reviews. At the time of the article, they'd sold over 20,000 of them. This I had to see. Located in Woburn, Mass., a small suburb of Boston, is U-Turn Audio. When you visit, one of the first things you're greeted by is a very cool, fully stocked 1950s jukebox. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Three founders of U-Turn, we all went to high school together. We were actually in homeroom for four years together, so, you know, we'd known each other a long time. That's Peter Moltson. In 2012, he, along with two high school buddies, formed U-Turn Audio. Went different ways for college. I went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Bob had transferred into Northeastern, so we were living in the same city, roommates for a couple of years. Bob had done a lot of audio design as kind of as a hobby, had plans to design his own turntable. As, as he was looking at designing a turntable, he thought, you know, why not see if we can make something that's, that's mass producible. Being fans of vinyl and wanting a quality turntable to play them on, they were disappointed to find out their budgets were at odds with their ears. I had a hand-me-down turntable. I think Bob had a vintage one that he bought and, you know, was kind of had to put a lot of effort into maintaining. Um, I think Ben had a newish Sony. So we were all kind of like in the market for a new turntable. And there really wasn't one there that was like, the, this is a great choice. They were convinced they could build a better one. Got involved with Startup Incubator at Northeastern. Ended up applying for and getting a prototype grant um, through them. 
$2,500 real. We, we made the most of it and got a prototype out of it. You know, it was kind of a, it was kind of a weekends and evenings project. In 2013, they made a pitch on Kickstarter, an American public benefit corporation based in Brooklyn, New York, whose mission is to, quote, help bring creative projects to life. So, yeah, we put it on Kickstarter, you know, no marketing money. We, we just kind of went as grassroots as possible. So our goal we set at $60,000. Yeah, we ended up getting 1,000 pledges for turntables, um, over $230,000. It's kind of how we knew, like, okay, this is a, a reasonable idea because there's that many people out there ready to, to buy into this idea that, you know, we can we can do this and make it work, and it's it's a product that people think is worth having. Dedicated to making great sound more accessible and affordable, they stayed away from many of the gimmicks found on most turntables at a similar price point. Co-founder and Orbit design engineer, Bob Herrick. A lot of those turntables that have USB ports or built-in speakers, any other number of kind of gimmicks, our problem with those were that they weren't really focused on good solid playback. So our kind of value proposition from the beginning was taking all the costs that would go into those features and just putting it right into the, the music making components so we could get something that would cost the same amount but would perform much better. The Orbit Basic turntable starts at 179 and is ready to play right out of the box. You can also customize it. You can choose to upgrade the cartridge or even pick a platter, MDF, or acrylic. So the main difference between the platters, one is made out of MDF and one is made out of acrylic. The big difference between those materials is just the density. The acrylic platter weighs about a pound more than the MDF platter, which gives it a little bit more rotational stability, so that, that lowers the wow and flutter for the turntable. Bob also came up with an innovative design for the tone arm. Yeah, I designed the tone arm based off of a lot of research into tone arm design. Started with a uni pivot design, but we eventually uh, went with a gimbal design to get a little more consistency with the bearings. And a majority of all the parts are custom made. We have our injection molder out in Wisconsin and our machine shop down in Connecticut. And the tone arm is basically a collection of two dozen machined and injection molded parts that go together. So a lot of USA made parts, a lot of collaborating with our vendors to uh, get those parts made perfectly. No matter if you order the standard Orbit Basic or Plus, or want one customized, all turntables are built to order by hand at their Boston facility. Tone wires, which are installed in the tone arm and onto the cartridge. The other end is installed to the board. Platter goes on, pre-inspection, motor runs in for a while, and then gets a post-burner inspection. So we, we make all our turntables to order, mostly because we offer so many different variations of the Orbit. You can choose your platter, your plinth, your cartridge, and a few other options. So yeah, to make that really possible, we pretty much have to build them uh, as we get the orders from our customers. So yeah, each, each Orbit, even if you get one of our, our standard models like the Basic or the Plus, we, um, we'll build those right to order. Uh, basically the day or the day after you, you place your order with us. And if you don't know anything about turntables or what you want, the customer support team can help you figure out which Orbit is best for you. Plus, their website is loaded with content about different cartridges, platters, and even things they don't sell, like speakers or other components. Oh, and did I mention, you can order your turntable in one of five colors or in solid maple or walnut with a satin finish. Even if you're not in the market for a new table, visit their website. These things just have a great look.
the U-Turn Orbit Turntable. Born and built in the USA. Check them out. U-TurnAudio.com And that's our program. Vinyl Snob is produced at the studios of Post Audio in Sacramento, California. Our theme music was composed by Cameron Robbins. Dana Barry is executive producer. I'm Dave Whitaker. Thanks for listening.